0: I'm reading from Romans 1, uh, 1.15. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, and we'll use an ESV version. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you. Always in my prayers, asking that somehow, God's will, sorry, somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. I'm under the obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. Let's pray. Father, bless your word to us this morning. I pray that we would hear the message of your gospel and yet it would be fresh and new and restoring to us. And I pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Now, Paul, uh, this is the introduction to Romans. It's the second week. You know, we jumped ahead next week, uh, last week, we jumped ahead next week. We jumped ahead last week to verses 16 and 17, but we're going back to the start of the letter. Paul is writing to the Romans and uh, he introduces himself to a group of people who he's never met. He's writing to a church, not dear old friends. This is, hey, I'm Paul and I want to come visit you. And preach the gospel to you. And he calls himself, it begins, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Paul, the Greek word is slave. Paul says, I am a slave. I am a servant of Christ Jesus. Um, Paul was always only on about Jesus, he wasn't on about himself. And he, he was, from the time of his conversion, he was happy to be second fiddle, if you know what I mean. You know what second fiddle is? The front fiddle player's out the front of the orchestra and everybody can see him. The second fiddle's somewhere in that other group of nameless people. Yeah. Do you understand? He was happy not to be the centre. And Paul often said, I boast in my weakness didn't he? He didn't want to be the upfront one. And throughout this passage, he's saying, I want to preach Christ. When I get to you, I want to preach Christ. In the meantime, I'm preaching Christ. Everything is Christ. We, um, we're ashamed of our weaknesses, aren't we? I've only got to have a little thing on my wrist and I want to hide it. I actually don't want you to know. I don't want you to know that I'm not the centre of everything and not the... St- And that my strength, we're actually ashamed of our weaknesses. And Paul says, I will boast in my weaknesses because it shows the all empowering, all encompassing glory of God. Can you see that, how opposite that is? Not only to the sinful human nature, but also to the message that the church often wants to proclaim, a message of strength. Look at how good I am. Have a look at me. Are you looking at me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. You're impressed, I can tell. And, and Paul's saying, I am a slave. I am a servant to God. And I'm not even going to hide my weaknesses from you. That's it. I'm talking about Paul in general, not just in this passage. Because if you see my weaknesses, you'll know the glory of God. And I don't want you to see me. I want you to see Jesus. In other words, he's not ashamed of his weaknesses. I think it's a huge message for us. We don't have to hide. We can just relax and and be in Christ. So Paul, all was about Jesus and he was second rate. So he was happy to say, I'm a servant. I'm a slave. And Now, now, don't get me wrong. He wasn't doing that negative psychology thing where you go, Oh, I'm just a servant. Have a look at me, everybody. Yeah. Look how humble I am. It's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way, isn't it? That's what the song says. But um, that's, that's what he's, he, Paul is actually saying. No, I'm really happy to be a slave, to be a servant. That, that's who I am. And he, he's aligned himself with the will of God. He said, I happily do what God wants me to do. I don't have to do my will. It's not about me. He's, you see, you can't actually, I can't tell you, everybody, be servants, be slaves. You've got to be almost captivated by his love, drawn into his love. And then you want to be that. Now, Paul calls himself an apostle. It's something easy to pass over. But in today's day, I do want to talk about this a bit. Apostle, what is an Apostle. An apostle, in, if you're thinking about, we're thinking about the apostles in the time of Acts. Were some, they were people who were called to uh, proclaim the unchanging truth about Jesus. Okay, they, they, That's what they did. And, and from the time of, of the day of Pentecost, uh, when Peter got up and he preached the unchanging message, and, and if you read the, that message he preached, He's bringing out a whole lot of Old Testament. Old Testament. Now, we know some people in the room are not that popular with the Old Testament, but that's okay. But <laughs> um, it's because we don't get some things sometimes. And what, is, what, the, what the apostles did was they that they could look at what was going on on the day of Pentecost, see what, how that was prophesied in the Old Testament and read into it the life of Jesus. They were particularly uh, authority, they had a particular authority to be able to do this. And the apost- as- apostolics, the apostles had a ministry which is unrepeatable. Right? It's, it's, you can't, there's no modern day apostles who have the same authority that Peter or the other apostles had, or, or Paul. Okay? Uh, when Judas died, they replaced him, didn't they? But then from then on, when apostles died, they never said, right, we've got to keep the twelve, gotta have the. They never did that. They were unreplaceable. Okay? They had an authority such as no one had before or after. They were eyewitnesses to the death and resurrection of Jesus and his teaching about the truth. So the apostolic truth, um, in, in, in Acts 2.42, we hear the the, the believers submitted themselves or devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, some of those people who devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching were around right through the time of Jesus. But their teaching was set apart as being authoritative and central. And what they did with that teaching is that they taught the meaning of the scriptures, the Old Testament, in light of Christ. In fact, they looked at all of life in light of Christ. In fact, all they did was about Christ okay I hope that makes some sense because today we still you still have there's a spiritual gift I think about being an apostle and and today we have people the word apostle means one who is sent and you still have people who are sent people are sent to various ministries aren't they but that doesn't mean they carry the authority uh, because you see, in today's era, we have a lot of people who self designate themselves as apostles with the same authority as Scripture. And so they start adding a whole lot of stuff to Scripture, which has come into their head uh, a lot of exciting spiritualism and, and stuff like that. But it's not actually truth. And, 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 uh, where does that teaching come from? And often it's marked by something which is not weakness, but strength. If you come to know Jesus the way, and you get my new revelation, for you'll never be sick. You'll always be strong. Everyone will look up to you. You'll be glorious. You understand? Rather than focusing on weakness, they focus on strength. In other words, not really. it's not really about weakness and strength. What it is, is rather than focus on Jesus, focus on me. Have a look at me. And, and where does their authority come from? Well, they'll say they've, they've received new revelation, which kind of adds on to scripture, but in the end it, it ends up blinding you to scripture. It ends up taking it away. It becomes a dist- it, it, distraction. It, it, it's, it, in one sense, it's easy to spot because it always is lifting up the human being. Above God. False teaching is about uh, ourselves generally and our own human glory. It always goes that way. Okay, the apostolic authority is all we really need and we don't need to add to it. It's John was an apostle. And you know at the end of the, the book of the Revelation, he says anyone who adds any stuff to this or takes away or changes any of this, well, you're in deep trouble, right? You're under God's judgment. Why could he say that? Surely there's someone else who could add a bit more revelation because he knew that there was an authority that the apostles had which was particular and it come from God. Does that make sense? So the apostolic teaching is extremely important. I I just... We can't... underestimate that when people come with rubbish teaching which is not true okay and we've got to be able to know where does truth come from it comes from a particular authoritative teaching that comes from the apostles okay so Paul was called to be an an apostle uh, and he was sent into that ministry uh, uh, and he um his calling people it, it's uh, theologians have this thing called effective calling it's like god calls us and he empowers us to f- feel that call and um sometimes like i mean if i speak for myself my mind is very confused today so um and 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 i woke up feeling like i had no right to be a gospel preacher today that's how i woke up this morning and um, it, it, full of doubts uh, I'm not good enough and and what I have to see and what Paul could say is I was called to this not I came to do it I put up my hand and I said God I, I, no I was called the authority we have comes from the fact that we are called to it do you understand because Otherwise, it's based on how we feel. And some days we do not feel like we have anything to offer God. And it's actually at that point that we probably have the most to offer him, if you know what I mean, in, in serving him. Because at that point, we know that everything has come by him and his grace in his strength. It's not actually about us. Um, it's not based also... On feeling, I, I learned something about myself. We had a, a men's group at Deer about four years ago, and this one of the non-Christian blokes. Do you have non-Christian blokes who sit there and listen, and uh, they're always there. But occasionally, you have a non-Christian bloke who wants to fight back. You know, and 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 it, is God really real? How do you know all this? Blah blah blah. And at the time, because where we were at, probably as a church, but definitely where I was an individual, I said, I want to tell you the story about how I become a Christian. Here is what I experienced. Can't argue with that, can you? Can't argue with my experience, can you? Well, actually, a psychologist could say, oh, yeah, that's common what you feel. You know, that's really just an experience that went on. And and, you know they can they can argue that's that's how the mind works and you know your mind was dealing with it like that. Actually, you can argue a lot with experience, can't you? If your life is built on some sort of even your testimony of what you've experienced of God, there'll be days you have huge doubts, there'll be days you have huge highs and huge lows. And I come to the conclusion after about four years. Of thinking about that one event which I couldn't shake out of my mind is I should have said to him I know why I know that God is real because he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross to take away the sins of the world and he was raised from the dead fact not based on how I feel an unchanging event that comes from can you get what I'm saying what I was really trying to say is have a look at me I went through all this Lots of people have experience. You know, Buddhists have experiences. And Muslims have experiences. Yeah? What we are based on is the truth of the gospel. You can't even look back to what... you. Hopefully you get what I'm saying. Otherwise, we'll have a lot of time spending our lives thinking in our heads and trying to convince ourselves that what we experience is really true. Because it's all based in, can I really, really, really believe what happened to me? Or was that just, I was having a, a funny day? The gospel is all we've got to rely upon. And as Christians, we can say, I've been called. You have been called. If you're a Christian, you've been called to what you know in the gospel. So he says... Paul, a servant or a slave of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Well, we're all set apart for the gospel of God. That's the good news of God. Good news that God has to bring for us. It was promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So the New Testament is nothing new. It was, all pro- it was all promised beforehand. The apostles didn't make up a new message. They taught the truth of the old message. In fact, they did not preach anything that wasn't actually true in the Old Testament. They didn't get new revelations. They didn't make up stuff in their head. Um, Paul said to King Agrippa in Acts 26, he said, I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. Moses representing the first five books of the Bible and the prophets. I, I'm not telling you anything new. Same old stuff. Reading the Old Testament in light of Jesus. Because we know that the Old Testament speaks of the birth of a, of a son to a virgin. Uh, the one who would bear the sins of the world, the the one who would be raised from the dead, the one who would bring salvation, the suffering servant, all that. The Old Testament speaks of Jesus. Okay, so he said, uh, which was promised beforehand through the prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh. So he was a blood descendant of David. You could follow his family tree back and get to David. He was completely human and was declared to be the son of God. He was also the son of God, but his humanity became known through his birth to us. But the proof of him and his status as the son of God came by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ Christ our Lord. Before that, no man, before his resurrection, no man had been resurrected, or woman, by the way, had been resurrected from the dead. Now I might say, hang on, what about Lazarus and a few others? Well, they were resuscitated. Okay? They were dead and they came alive. They were, they were brought back to life in the sense of like someone might drown and then someone gives them CPR. But this man was completely dead and he was raised from the dead, the first man in history. And without that resurrection, because that was the heart of the preaching of the apostles, was the resurrection, yes, the cross, but you see, Paul makes it clear, if Jesus died for our sins and stayed dead, it was all a waste of time. He needed to be raised from the dead to prove What's the point of having your sins forgiven and then you stay dead? There needs to be a resurrection. Death without a resurrection is pointless. This world needs hope and when Jesus came back from the dead, hope truly came through a man and he rose from the dead and that was the proof that he was indeed the Son of God. Um, Paul said in Acts 13, when he was preaching... He said, And we bring you good news that what God promised to the the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. Jesus did not decay in the grave. That was a message preached. And guess what? He's still alive today. Did you know that? Yeah, he ascended. He was taken from view, but he still lives with his body and he will be with us, lo, I'm with you, to the end of the age. He is always with us. By his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Jesus is Lord. That's the cry of the early church. Hopefully it's the cry of the late church. This is not something that happens when we say it. We can't, you know, some, you've got to make Jesus Lord. Do you know what? Jesus is Lord. You can't make him Lord. You'd be stupid if you didn't admit it because he's Lord over all. Yeah, but you can't make him it. Just confess it. Jesus is Lord of all. From him, we've received grace and apostleship. In other words, we're sent and we're called. And the purpose of the gospel, it says, is to bring the nations to the obedience of faith the nations meaning the whole earth, sometimes they, they call it the Gentiles, but that the whole earth would come to the obedience of faith. In other words, that they would put their trust in the gospel, in the word of Jesus. Now, how's that going? Have a look at the world. When you, when you look all the nations coming to Christ, if we look by sight, well God's not doing a great job, is he? But by faith, the kingdom of God is powerfully at work, even though it doesn't appear on the six o'clock news. The kingdom of God's having great, you know, going forward in this country. That's never, that's never there, is it? Um, it's not reported on, and even in the, the uh, advertised church and what we know as the church. that's not where we see the kingdom of God at work but in the underground and I don't mean the underground church but it's there as well but in the things of God that happen through his people as they live in the calling that they have and proclaim the gospel of Christ the gospel's going out through you do you understand? or through the pastor make sure you pay him and give him the glory no 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 through all of his people in the church who are all called in weakness in the reality of life with words that fail that fall short we never get our words right we never get our actions right every part of our lives is kind of weakened how good is that to the glory of God it's all about him can you see what I'm saying the kingdom of God is powerfully at work in this world. It is going out, and all nations are, 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 will have believers and are growing in that. And God's purpose will be fulfilled. It will happen. Right from way back in Genesis, uh, it was. This was. You remember when um, Jacob was blessing his sons, and he got to Judah. And he said to Judah, this is one part of it, Genesis 49, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Now from Judah came Jesus. He was in the line of Judah. The obedience of the peoples will come through you. It was promised way, way, way back at the start. And then Paul, sorry, I'm... Right on about this a bit but at the end of Romans he says this this is the last little tiny bit in chapter 16 now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. All of this is saying it's going on. The gospel is being proclaimed to all nations and it's having great effect right across this world. The mystery of God, the mystery of Jesus Christ is being made known and people are coming to obedience of faith. It will happen as God planned it. Does that make sense? If you say no, I don't know what I'll say. I'll just have to read that bit I did again. Um, Okay. To all those who are in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Do you know what saints is? Saints means holy people. Yeah? That's you. How holy are you? Completely, through Jesus Christ, completely washed, cleansed, new, You're saved by his grace and every day you need God's grace because he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. He starts all always let us like that, really, doesn't he? We need grace every day. Why? Because we're weak every day. But you see, when you receive grace every day, which is God, then you're glorifying him. What we don't want to do, what, what, I, what I'd rather do is be strong every day and, and not need God so much and, and then be able to do my own thing and then you'd be able to love me and glorify me. Yeah, that, that's what our human hearts want. So I want to show you my strength. But you see, when we live in weakness, we've got to say, I need your grace every day. I'm totally reliant on you. And then it's all about him and it glorifies him. Do you understand the difference? That's how we glorify God, by living by grace. Because we need him every day. Grace and peace, you need his peace every day too, don't you? Yeah. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Now, Rome was, was the centre of the world. It's not really an equivalent of that today. But in that, in that day, Rome was the centre of the empire, the centre of the known world. They said, well, all roads lead to Rome. didn't matter. That's where they all started. And, and, and Rome was everything. And Paul had always had a desire to go to Rome, hadn't he? He wanted to go there. He wanted to go to the centre of the world and he wanted to talk about Jesus. He wanted to tell them the gospel there. And your faith, he's saying to, the, to these Christians in Rome, is has been proclaimed all over the world already. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's grace I may now at last succeed in coming to you. I really want to get to you. I really want, and I've been praying for you all the time. Prayer is also another way of, uh, of living by faith. You see, when when we live by, by ourselves, we want to do things, we want to get stuff done. We're action people, hey? you have got to get some stuff done. Prayer is an admission that you can't do it yourself, so you've got to ask him for your help. Prayer, just a, as soon as you pray, you're living by faith. You can't help it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. So... Paul is saying uh, I I badly want to come to you Uh, I'm always praying for that and um, that somehow I may come to you and he says for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you now are we talking about which one it must be one of those spiritual gifts from 1 Corinthians 12 surely it'd be one of the action ones wouldn't it um that is, that we may be mutually, that is, that is, that's the spiritual gift. That we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Isn't it a glorious thing when you find the faith of others? Isn't it a great blessing when you meet someone new and you see their faith? Isn't it great when you see even the people in our own church living by faith? Isn't it such an encouragement? Isn't it, isn't it so edifying that means building up? We're built up by that. We can bless each other spiritually by just seeing the faith of one another. But, I mean, it's a miracle that, that the church is still going, isn't it? Why does it keep going? Because God's keeping it going. And that encourages us to see that. God's obviously at work. Okay. Because, you see, the Corinthians, they had, a, they had an understanding of spiritual gifts. They'd become kind of like baby-like. They wanted to be better than everybody else. That's what Paul... The, the main teaching in 1 Corinthians about spiritual gifts is about how you're using it to be better than each other. I've got the spiritual gift of tongues, which is better than anybody else's. And then the other one saying, say, well, this gift's better and this gift's better. And they were arguing all over that, but they were full of themselves. That's what happens, you see? Whereas if you actually read what those gifts are about, prophecy, well, talk about Jesus, and words of knowledge is talking about things that come from... So, mu- so much of them are actually about making known and speaking Jesus. That's what they're about. They were never for themselves. They were always for others, for the mutual encouragement. Yep. That's why you don't like the ones well, people don't like the ones in Romans 12, because they're about serving and stuff like that. Well, they don't want the spiritual gifts of serving. They want the spiritual gift of have a look at me. That's what I want. The gifts are about making Jesus known. They're not about power trips. Mutual encouragement. Everybody given spiritual gifts to serve one another to make Jesus known. Okay. I do not want you to be honored, brothers, that I've often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that may reap some harvest among you as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and foolish, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. Paul was on about harvest that comes from the gospel he was on about the name of Jesus being made known. He was not on about himself. The more hardships he had, the better he liked it because then all that could be made known was the name of Jesus. Because Jesus is everything. And the only permanent fruit, the only permanent harvest we'll ever have in this world or we'll ever see is the work of Jesus in people's lives. In the power of the Holy Spirit, I'll just read the passage following, which is uh, we read last week. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek, to, to the Greek, not the geek, um, but they, it's still good news to geeks as well as Greeks. But. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. You can be made righteous. You can be justified. It comes as a free gift of God. And this is the gospel we preach. And as we preach it, people will actually be encouraged and build up and saved, because it's a work of God that comes. And they'll be brought to repentance and faith as God gives it. And they shall live, the just or the righteous shall live by faith. Now, that's an Old Testament verse, by the way. And it's an Old Testament verse, really, when you actually uh, translate in the Old Testament, Habakkuk 2.4, it says, The righteous shall live by faithfulness. In other words, by their, they'll be righteous by their faithfulness. So if you were declared righteous by your faithfulness, how are you going to go with that? Not very well. But there was one who was faithful, wasn't there? Yes, Jesus Christ. He lived by pure faithfulness and he was purely righteous and he gave us his gift of righteousness and we, that becomes ours by faith. When we trust in him. And what he's done for us. We live in his righteousness because he is faithful. It's all about Jesus. And if you're weak and unable and fallen and you fail and you get your words wrong and your actions right wrong, you're in a great place because you'll be glorifying God. And that's what our lives are about. And you'll be proclaiming Jesus Christ. Okay, we're going to pray. Father, so often our lives, we uh, we just, we're all about ourselves and we want to uh, confess that we've been wrong in wanting to glorify ourselves. And Father, so often we've wanted you because of what we can get out of you. But we see that life is about Jesus. It's about his glory, his grace, and all that he's done for us. And, Father, I pray that you would renew in us by your Holy Spirit this knowledge, that we would be focused completely on the work of your son, that we would love you as Father, and that we would rely completely on the power of your Spirit in us so that we wouldn't be full of ourselves, that we would be full of him and his workings in us. And, Father, that you will glorify your body, the church, and make them never-ending in their proclaiming of Christ and him crucified and all of his glory. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.